You are listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. Good morning. Welcome to Camden Nazarene. My name is David, uh, one of the pastors here, and it is great to uh, see you this morning on this uh, beautiful uh, rainy Sunday morning. And uh, I, I say rain is beautiful. It reminds us of, of the God that we serve and how God gives life and the cycle of life. And rain is certainly uh, a part of, of all that. We've been in a series called Kings and Presidents uh, the last few weeks. And, and over the last few weeks, we've been in the, the book of, of Second Kings. And it's in the book of Second Kings that we see some really, really great examples of the politics of the kings uh, versus the politics of the kingdom of God. In an election year here in the United States, I think it's important for the people of God to be reminded of where our focus is, or where our focus should be, rather. I've intentionally, I've, I've not gotten into like really specific things on the political side during this series. I haven't tried to suggest who you should vote for or which party is better than the other one or anything like that or which party or which candidate is, is closer to the kingdom of God than the other because we've been really clear. We've been really clear that, that there isn't a political party, there isn't a candidate that fully encompasses the kingdom of God because that is the work of the church. Uh, we, we mentioned this in, in, in our small group, uh, but as believers, there should always be this uncomfortableness. There should always be an uncomfortable level with any candidate that, uh, that, that we, we, we are leaning towards. As people of the kingdom of God, we should never be 100% at home uh, with any particular party or candidate because no party, no candidate can fully, can fully encompass uh, the kingdom of God and the ethic that is God's, God's kingdom. And if we're not careful, we can get so worked up. We can get so worked up in our political ideas, and we can get so worked up in supporting one candidate or the other candidate that we, we fail to see the world the way that God sees the world. We're not called to see the world as a Republican. We're not called to see the world as a Democrat. We're not called to see the world as a Libertarian or as a Green Party uh, person or as a Constitutional Party person. We're called to see the world through the eyes of God. We're called to see the world through the eyes of the kingdom. We have to remember that the way of the king tells us that if you want something, you just simply get an army together and you go get whatever you want. The, the, the world of the king says, whoever has the most power, whoever has the most, most toys, whoever has the most resources is able to go and to get whatever they want. The way of the kingdom of God reminds us that our provider, that God is our provider, and we move according to his will and according to his direction. The way of the king says that we place our trust in the, in the powers that be, while the kingdom invites us to take steps of faith, even when the outcome can't clearly be seen. You see, the, the way of the kingdom reminds us that God's faithfulness comes through in the lowly. The, the, the way of the kingdom reminds us that God shows his faithfulness to widows who have nothing left. 
That's the way of the kingdom. Yes, we haven't been specific about the choices that we should be making in this, this election. We have, however, been reminded of the kingdom principles that should guide our life and even our political life. And so today we turn our attention towards the economy of the kings and the economy of the kingdom. I think of the many skills that, that we as parents try to teach our kids. One of the toughest skills or mindsets may be the value of money. The value of money. It, it's especially hard now when every store you go, I say now, it's been this way for years. Marketing's always been around. But when you go in every store and every, every aisle has some sort of last little minute trinket that they want you to buy, you know? You know, even going to Lowe's, right? Even going to Lowe's, you know, where there shouldn't be anything that is, that is of interest to my child in Lowe's, you know, because he's nine and my daughter's 10. But even then, they've got, they've got a gift card section. And in that gift card section are gift cards to the, to the Nintendo eShop and to Roblox and all those other stuff. It's like, hey, can I get that? I'm like, I can't even get a break in Lowe's. You know, it's always this, hey, can I get this? Can I get this? So teaching our kids the value of money is tough, right? Because in their mind, and, and I was there, I was that kid. You know, I used to, I begged my dad for years as a middle school, hey, dad, we need a go-kart. Let's get a go-kart. I said, ah, son, I got to, you know, we got to save up for that. I said, dad, just go write a check for it. I see you write checks. Just write a check for it. It's all good. Because as a child, you don't have a concept of there has to be something behind that check, right? You know, and now my kids say, just use your card. And now, with the inception of Amazon, just be dangerous. My kid, my, my kid says, hey, let me borrow your phone. I want to look something up. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not going to look anything up because you want to go to Amazon and put something in my cart. All right? And so it, it's, it's, hard to, so we, we, it's hard to understand there is value, money. There, there's, there's a value to money. And when you're small, you just, you just don't think about it. But we're taught... To value money. We're, this is kind of how we're raised. We're, we're taught that we're to value money and that everything has a value. Everything has a price tag on it. This is the way of the kings. Everything has a price tag. And so today our text is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. And, and, and there we find a narrative that was going to, is going to teach us something about the economy of the kings and the economy of the kingdom. And so we're not going to read it all at once. We're just going to walk through this story together. And so in, in, in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, we run into a very common nemesis of Israel, the country of Aram. This is a very common uh, nemesis. They're, they're always sparring. They're always at odds with one another. And so once again, we are introduced to the people of Aram, the king of Aram. And we get introduced to the commander of the Aramean army, which, a guy, which is a guy named Naaman. Look at verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier 
but he had leprosy. So this great military leader who's used to getting everything that he wants, this great military leader who's in charge of of the entire army of this nation is now stuck with this disease that is the great equalizer, leprosy. It's a disease that would have, no one wanted to be around you. If, 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 if it hadn't been for that he was the commander of this army, he would have been ostracized out into, uh, in, into outside the city. I'm, and I'm sure because of his position, they tried to hide it. They didn't let it, a lot of people know about it. And so he's distressed about this. And as you can imagine, equally concerned is his master, the king of Aram. Because Naaman was the key to all of his victories. And all of his successes. And I think it's interesting. Look, it's interesting how scripture is very clear that Naaman's success is because of the Lord, is because of the one true God, Israel's God. I think that's very interesting. This is, remember, the Arameans, the, the, the people of Aram, they were Israel's nemesis. This was their enemy, but yet their power. There, any victory, any success that they had came from the one true God. And I think this is very indicative of what we see in the biblical story where we are always reminded that God is always using the outsiders to show us the kingdom of God. This, it's very common for, for God to step out of Israel and to use outsiders to show us some lessons about the kingdom of God. Jesus would use this analogy a lot. He would, in fact, he referenced Elijah and he referenced Elisha and how outsiders were used. And he, he did that in his hometown and they ran him out. Well, not so much on a rail, but if it was in today's context, they would have tried to run him out on the rail. If you understand, you need to go watch Oh Brother Art Thou if you don't know what it means to be run out of town on a rail. <laughs> but so this is, this is a, little, a little tidbit here that we get, that God is always using the outsiders. Naaman's leprosy is of great concern to everyone. And and so in their effort to find a solution, remember, this is great, powerful people that have all sorts of resources. But one young, powerless Israelite girl speaks up. This girl that scripture says is Naaman's wife's servant. At some point, she had been taken into captivity. She is an Israelite. And she speaks up and she says... Look at verse 3. She said to her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. So all these people, all these powerful people that can buy anything they want to buy, they're trying to figure out how do we cure Naaman of this leprosy, and this powerless little girl speaks up and says, you need to go see the man in Samaria. You need to go see the prophet of the Lord. And so Naaman gets up, says, okay. He goes to his, to, to his master, the king of Aram. And, and as you can imagine, they all jump to conclusion. And you see a, a perfect example of the way of the kings versus the way of the kingdom. You see, the powerless slave girl understands that the true power is in the prophet of the Lord, while those in power are preparing to do what power people do. When it's time to obtain something, they begin to get their entourage together. Look at verse 5. So Naaman, he goes to the king and says, hey, 
the little girl here says there's someone in Israel who can help me. There's some, some guy in the little providence of Samaria who can help me. And look at verse 5. The king says, by all means, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel, not to Elisha. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, the little girl didn't say go to the king of Israel, who would have probably most likely been Joram. He didn't say go to the king. She didn't go to the king. He said, she said go to Elisha. But this is what power people do when it's time to have some sort of influence, when it's time to obtain something that you want from someone else. You put on your best. You get a lot of money. You try and you go and try to buy some influence and buy what you want. And so this is what I want you to see. When your principles are grounded in the world of the kings, it's hard to see the world of the kingdom. When your principles is, is, is grounded in what we know in, in our modern day politic and in, in the way of the kings, it's hard to see what God wants us to see. So instead of going to Elisha, Naaman, he loads up with all these coins and this big entourage and they go out for Israel. Naaman is off with all this pomp and circumstance. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I like a little pomp and circumstance. I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, I, I, when you when speaking of politics, I, it doesn't matter who the president is, okay? This is a nonpartisan comment. But when the president comes out and they hear the bum, ba dum bum bum you know, I just love it. I, I get into that, okay? So I'm just going to be honest with you. I think all of that is just really cool. Brass buttons and ribbons and all this stuff. Anytime I'm around military folks and they got their dress uniforms on, I'm like, man, I should have joined the military. I like that uniform. That looks nice. You know, I just, just, just being honest, there's something about, I get it. There's something about the pageantry of things that make us feel really good, Right? Of course, we forget about, we forget, especially on the military side, I was talking to, uh, you know, talk to any military person and say, listen, all those brass buttons is like that minuscule of surface level of what it, all that really, really means. Like that's, it's not all what it's cracked up to be, right? You ask them that. Uh, when the Medal of Honor uh, winner was here in Kershaw County a couple weeks ago, Man, of course, you know, he's decked out. And, of course, the Army, they changed to the pinks, what they call the pinks, so the dark green coat and the lighter green pants. And, and we were there at Lugolf Elgin High School. And, man, he is just, I mean, he's just marching and, and going up. And he hit, did his whole thing, gave his whole spiel. He's got ribbons and everything. I'm like, man, that guy looks, man, that, that looks sharp. And you think about all those little ribbons, they look nice. But we forget about all the, all the sacrifice that goes into those ribbons, you know? So, you know, you don't want to be like, you know, there's an Ernest T. Bass episode of Andy Griffith where he wanted to join the Army. And he said, Ernest T., you can't join the Army. And he said, I wasn't going to stay in the Army. I was just going to get my uniform and go home, you know? So it doesn't work like that. But anyway, so Naaman, he gets all his pomp and circumstance, and he goes to see someone who can't really help him. He goes to the king of Israel. He gives him the letter. The king reads it, and he just, talk about a drama king. Look here, verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, because the letter said, 
Will you please heal Naaman of leprosy? He tore his robes and said, am I a God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is, he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. You see, the way of the kings quickly jumps to conclusions that, ha, you're making fun of me. Because we all know as kings, we think that we're God. We tell them that we're God, but we already know that we're not really God. Like we tell our subjects that we can do all these things, but deep down we really know one-to-one we don't have any power to do anything. And so the king of Israel, he just assumes that this guy must be trying to pick a fight with me. I don't want to get into another fight with the king of Aram. Here we go again. He tears his clothes and Elisha gets word of what is going on. Elisha, someone comes to Elisha and says, you got to go see the king. He's just all dramatic. He's all been out of shape. And so Elisha sends him word and says, what are you doing? Why in the world have you torn your clothes? He says, send the guy over to my house and I'll take care of it. Now, where did the little girl say to go first? To go to Elisha. The little girl didn't say, hey, hey, go see the king of Israel. Because knew, she knew he was a joke anyway. Remember, this is the guy who can't even go get sheep. Remember two, two messages ago, he was the guy that was trying to go invade, some, the, invade the, the Moabites to get his sheep back. And he came back empty-handed. So this little girl knows that he's a joke anyway. Now, that's not in Scripture. I'm just using some sanctified imagination Perhaps that may have been what she was thinking. We don't know. But what we do know is Elisha, that's where the power of God is. So Naaman, he takes all his fancy stuff, his robe and his shekels and his coins, and he goes on over to Elisha's house. Now think about this. Think about this. Let's say the president is told he needs to go to your house. And of course, when he shows up, he's got an entourage, right? He's got about five, he's got about three or four of those beast-like limousines. They're all decoys. He's in one of them, and you've got to guess which one he's in. Then you've got a suburban. You've got two or three of the suburbans. And then you've got the local law enforcement and the federal force. They're all riding with him. Think about it. Donnie, if he came to your house, he would stretch all, his entourage would go all the way back to Bert's house if he was at your house. I mean, it would be, it would be ginormous. And so if this person came to your house, what would you do? You'd want to you'd go out and say, hey, to him. But Elisha, he sends out a messenger. I think this is so funny. Naaman, this important general, has all this entourage. And Elisha goes, hey, just go out there and tell him, hey, you know, just to do this. So Elisha sends out a messenger and he says, yeah, just go uh, wash in the Jordan River seven times and call us in the morning. See you later. <laughs> look at verses 11 and 12. This is a very comical story. But look, verses 11 and 12. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me or and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rain, in rage. Again, what I tell you, 
When we're so locked into the way of the kings, we cannot see the way of the kingdom. You see, Naaman was expecting pomp and circumstance. He was expecting him to come out and wave his wand and do all this great thing. But when he, he gets a messenger who says, just go wash in the Jordan River. Naaman's a little appalled. And I'm thinking, if I've got leprosy, I don't know if I'm in a position to be a Paul, right? Beggars can't, beggars can't be choosers, right? And so he stomps off, and Scripture tells us that his servants, his, his, his entourage, they go get him. Name it, name it, name it, name it, stop. Just, just, what do you have to lose? Just, you have nowhere to be. We've cleared your schedule. Just go wash in the Jordan River. And, and you've kind of, you spoke poorly about Israel's rivers, okay? You said Jordan was no good, but just, just eat a little crow and just go and wash in the Jordan. The eating crow part is not in Scripture, but that's just kind of my translation. So Naaman heads to the Jordan and washes seven times the way Elisha says. And what do you think happened? He became clean. The little girl, the powerless little servant girl who sees the way of the kingdom said, go see Elisha. She didn't say, go get all your silver, get all your clothes, get all your shekels, get all the horses. She just said, go see the man in Samaria, Elisha. And so eventually they end up where the little girl told them to be. He goes and washes, and look at verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. Now, how, if you're Naaman, how are you feeling right now, right? Go back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift of your servant. You see, because Naaman operates by the way of the king's. And so it's only natural that I give you something in exchange for something that you've done for me. You see, because remember, we put a price tag on everything. Hmm, how much is this, how much is this going to cost me? How much damage is, is, this, is this going to do? I mean, everything has a price tag. And Elisha would not accept a gift. And so this is the next, next thing I want you to see. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of looking at God's gift of grace and asking, well, how much does it cost? That's a dangerous place to be. And I think in a way that we do that, you know, we, we kind of we step into church every couple weeks or some, for some. It, it, it's it's uh, for the CEO crowd. They, 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 they step in every Christmas and Easter. Um, CEO, Christmas and Easter only. And um, they step in and say, hmm, what's going on at church? How much is this going to cost me? I'm kind of interested in the Jesus thing. I'm kind of interested in maybe making some better decisions. I'm kind of, I'm really interested and I know where I need to be. I, I mean, I know better. I was raised in church. I know what it's all about, but let me just, how much is it going to cost me? And if we're not careful, that's where our spirituality is. We're asking, 
what's this going to set me back? You see, because that's we're programmed to think. If you want something, you ask, how much does it cost? Speaking of politics, we're in the middle of a, of a, of a, a ginormous, not just a presidential campaign, but here in South Carolina, we're in the middle of a ginormous Senate campaign. Did you know that one of our Senate campaigns has raised over $56 million? $56 million has poured into our state for a Senate campaign. That's a lot of money. They've got so much money, they're running ads about a guy on the ballot who's not even running anymore. It's truth. It's a lot of money because the way of the king says you just throw money at it. You want something, you want to get something done, you just put money in. You, you, you can buy hope, you can buy wholeness, you can buy power, but the economics of the king is so much different. You see, money and influence, it certainly carries weight in the world of the kings, but this is not the currency of God. The economy of God operates on the abundance of grace, which is freely given, and this makes little sense to the world of the kings. If you're Naaman, you, don't, you cannot even understand why Elisha, an Israelite, someone who is technically your enemy, would freely give him the gift of being cured of leprosy. You see, the gift of grace just doesn't make sense to our world. And sometimes this is embodied in the church when we ask questions like, well, how much does a Christian really have to attend church? Like when we ask those type of questions, well, how, you know, how, where's, the, like, where's the line at, preacher? Like, do I have to attend every Sunday? Um, do, I have to, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? When we start thinking about our faith in questions like, what do I have to do? That's us checking the price tag on our faith. And we forget God's grace doesn't operate with price tags. The kingdom of God isn't about finding the minimum. It's about experiencing God's grace and realizing that there is no price tag on the healing that comes from Jesus when we give our life to him. We will never fully understand the Christian journey if we spend our time figuring out how much is this going to cost? Because as long as we're standing back and calculating, it simply means that we haven't fully surrendered to Christ yet. And that is what Jesus is inviting us to, to fully surrender, to fully step into this relationship with him and say, I will make you whole. All I need you to do is just let go of all your preconceived ideas, let go of all the price tags and just step into my life, step into my grace, step into my salvation and experience this awesome and this free gift of grace. You see, when serving God is about more than the bare minimum, when it's simply, when it is simply the grateful response to free grace, then the cost is really no consequence. 
We say, I don't care how much it costs. I, I don't care. I, I, I want to go to church. I want to serve. I, I want to be there in small group. I want to go out and to, and to feed this population who no one else loves. I want to do these things because I was once a sinner and now I'm found. I want to do these things because I deserved hell. But God has given me life and he has given me grace. I'm not going to sit around asking how much something costs. I'm just going to step in. I'm going to fully immerse myself into the way of the Lord, into God's grace. Because without this free gift, I would be lost. You see, grace isn't earned. It's actually way more powerful than that. It's a free gift. Grace isn't earned. It's a free gift. And there's something powerful about a gift. You've all been there. You've, you've been humbled when someone has, has given you something. Especially maybe somebody who you know, man, it really, they really had to stretch to, to give me that gift. It, it's just a really humbling experience. And maybe and we should be humbled to know that God gave of himself. God gave his son for us. So let's wrap it up. I think in many ways, Elisha's free gift, it disoriented to Naaman. It left Naaman in this disorientation at first. Because he was like, wait, wait a minute. There's nothing free. But then Naaman realized how the one true God operates. Look at verse 17. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much, as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other but the Lord. And so like Naaman we are disoriented when we encounter free grace. Yet it is precisely that free grace on which, on which we depend to disorient us from the way that has been so deeply ingrained in us. It's this free grace that makes us realize, oh, wow, the, the world is it operates so differently than who has the most toys wins. It's this free grace that disorientates us into realizing, wow, it really is all about loving God and loving neighbor. This, when we understand the free grace that we've been given, we realize, wow, it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat or a Republican. God died for them, and they deserve to hear and to experience the gospel. When we, when we truly experience this free gift of grace, it, it, disorientates, it disorientates us to, to realize, wow, they've really made some bad decisions and they're in a bad place of life, but they, they deserve to be served. It's this disorientation of free grace that is our hope for moving toward the world of the kingdom as we step out of the world of the kings. Our one hope is in 
Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. If you've been, if you've been here for the last few weeks, maybe you've, maybe you've been in a situation in life where you've been calculating, how much is really all this gonna cost me? I've really made some bad decisions. I've really gotten to a place where I never thought I would be in life. I've got news for you. There's a free gift of grace to you. Doesn't matter the decision that you've made. Doesn't matter the place that you find yourself in that you never thought you would be. God is still there. God still wants to work. God still wants to invite you into his presence and then allow it to disorient you in a way that you're just, wow. God's grace is so powerful. He is our living hope. Would you stand? Let's sing together as we begin to wrap it up. Thank you for visiting candanaz.church.